We're going to read from uh, Psalm 63. As you turn there, it is good uh, to be back here to worship with you this morning. Um, I will say, uh, I, I do a few things that I know I'm not supposed to do. I have my hands in my pocket right now. That's a, that's a speaker no-no. Um, I like to walk around, but this thing is so big that you know, I, I get scared by the time I get over here. And so I might kind of fidget back and forth. Again, you're not supposed to do that. But um, I'm in uniform all week, and I'm not allowed to put my hands in my pockets. So even if I don't feel like it on Sundays, I, I feel I need to because I'm allowed finally. Uh, and um, I joke, but uh, um, it is a wonderful privilege that we have to look at God's Word together. A joyous uh, privilege. And while it is solemn, it is also fun. That as we come into God's presence and we read His Scripture, we should um, feel our hearts lifted. As we praise him and sing, we should understand his holiness and experience uh, the gravity of what we do. But if you are not filled with a lightness of spirit and a joy, then you do not know the God who is proclaimed in this book. For while he is holy and fearsome, he is kind and loving. And as he welcomes us into his presence, he does so with a gentleness that goes beyond the most loving parent. And so, as we go to him, keep, that, um, keep the nature of the God who we worship in mind. So let's uh, read together. This is from uh, Psalm 63, Psalm 63 in its entirety. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This psalm uh, summed it up in a rather short sentence, that David uh, was in the wilderness remembering the sanctuary and he was at peace while he waited for justice. So I want to talk briefly about those four things, being in the wilderness, remembering the sanctuary, being at peace, and waiting for justice. And while this is a psalm of David, and um, we're going to hear a little bit about David's story, it's also our story as well. And so this is a message for you and me. 
You might notice the inscription. It says a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. This is later in David's life. He was already king. He'd already been reigning. He had won victories and amassed wealth. But he was driven out of Jerusalem. He was driven into hiding in the wilderness by his son Absalom. There's a civil war of sorts in the land. And it's bad. David uh, had headed away from the fertile land. He was in the wilderness, uh, the Negev Desert. If you've ever seen pictures of southern Israel uh, or been there yourself, uh, it's incredibly arid. There's nothing there. It's desert. Um, when, uh, um, when David traveled there, he did so... Um, not willingly. He is not there um, because he likes it there. And so he uh, looks out. Perhaps he's in a cave hiding. Perhaps he's just in an empty field with dust blowing by. And he looks out and beholds nothing. And he's reminded of a spiritual truth. That his soul has a longing in it the same way his body does in this desert. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. See, we're in the wilderness too. Um, And it's funny, just on the way in here, I had a conversation about how much rain we've had over the last two days. Um, we, We get a lot of rain here. And even when we don't get a lot of rain, there's kind of a gulf right here. So it's, you know, there's plenty of water to be seen. And yet, we are in a wilderness every bit as real as what David wrote about here. Peter, in First Peter, describes us as sojourners, exiles. We're just visiting. This is not our home. We have so much that sometimes we forget how needy we are. If you look around at this beautiful building, if you leave here and drive down one of these relatively well-maintained roads, looking at all the businesses, going back to wherever it is that you live, we have so much. And yet... We have nothing. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote about a number of things. One subject he wrote about was uh, learning during wartime. Should we study? Should we do beautiful things? Should we go to school during the war? Because doesn't it seem like kind of a waste? And his answer was absolutely we should. Because we always live on the edge of the cliff. We could leave here and have an accident and our life could be over just like that. We always live on the edge. Satan prowls, seeking to devour you. It's personal. The sin in your own heart seeks to rip you away from the God who would save you. We have an enemy within, we have an enemy outside, and the world itself seeks to beat down our physical bodies. If you do not believe that 
you are in a wilderness. If you do not believe that you are at war, if you do not believe that evil is real, then you do not understand the goodness of the God who is gracious to you every day. David talks about his soul thirsting and his flesh fainting for God. He's talking about the whole person. His body and his heart ache. Uh, when, we, uh, when we PT um, in the mornings, uh, it's commonly said in some version, usually more harshly than this, but that your will gives out before your body does. And that's true. We're generally able to physically endure more than we want to endure. Our souls are tied to our flesh. And sometimes we hurt so much in our soul that our bodies hurt. Have you ever been so stressed that you get a sore neck or a sore back? Have you ever been so nervous about something that you feel nauseous? Have you ever been so fearful that you lose your appetite? David understood uh, that the physical and the spiritual were tied together and his whole being was crying out for God. Body and soul. Every part of him. He looked out at the physical wilderness and was reminded of the wilderness um, in which his soul lived. And everything in him cried out for God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. This psalm actually became one of my favorite psalms uh, in Afghanistan. A dry and arid land. I had the privilege of, of flying, and when you're in a helicopter, you can actually see out and see things. Absolutely desolate. Miles, miles and miles and miles of brown. There's places where we call it moon dust. It's, it's not sand. It's a very, very fine dust that's sometimes feet thick. And if you ever watch the, the um, films of the moon landings, the way it kind of fluffs up and um, just sits in the air, that's the way it is in many places. And um, we had everything we need, but as you look out at that desolation and as you read David's words, it is a good reminder. We, like David, are in the wilderness. And we have a couple of different responses in the wilderness. We can respond like David did, or we can respond in anger. God, how could you leave me in a broken world like this? Where are you when I need you? How could you let me suffer? How could you let my family suffer? How could you allow war and death and poverty and sin? Many people respond that way. We could respond by saying there is no God because a good God could not allow this much evil in the world. Many people respond that way. Or we could respond as David responds here in this psalm. That as we look out or as we look in and we see the desert, we can say, God, I need you. If you've ever been so thirsty that you can't even get spit into your mouth, 
you know how good cold water sounds. We should desire God that much. We should desire God so much that we feel it. And when we see the wilderness, we should remember Him. And that's exactly what David does. So he starts off by looking at the wilderness, and then he remembers the sanctuary. If you look in verse 2, he says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. The sanctuary here is the place of worship. David uh, has worshipped in the tabernacle. He brought the ark. Uh, The temple wasn't built yet, but he understands that God deserves worship and that God is to be worshipped in a special way. And he's done so. Now, we uh, worship in a sanctuary, but this is not God's temple. We can go to this one, we can uh, go to any church uh, down 90, and each one has a place where you worship. So we sometimes forget the importance of this idea of the sanctuary. If you remember, a couple times in Scripture, uh, we're, glimpsed, we're given a glimpse of heaven. Isaiah is called into God's throne room, and he sees God on his throne with the angels around him. And God speaks so that it shakes the thresholds. We see that again in Revelation. When Stephen is killed and he goes to heaven, we see Jesus standing, welcoming him. So we see glimpses of the other side. And we know too that God promises to meet with us when we gather in his name. Wherever two or three are gathered, he is here. We are in the very presence of a holy God now. And so the sanctuary is not a physical location that we can pinpoint on a map. The sanctuary is the holy place where God is. If you are his, then he is in you. The Holy Spirit has made you God's temple. And so when we think about worship when we look out at the wilderness and we need to remember our time in the sanctuary, if you want to see God's um, power and God's glory, if you want to see them most clearly proclaimed, you might think of going to the stars at night, as the Psalms say. They proclaim the glory of God. You might think of uh, the creation account, the wonder of what God has made. But if you want to see God's power and glory most clearly displayed, look around this room this morning. Where has God shown himself most powerful but in Christ and in the salvation that Christ earned on the cross? Calling a a church together, a people from every tribe and every tongue to live for him forever. Of taking people who were dead, like you and me, and making us alive together in Christ. And so if you want to know God's power and glory, when you are in the desert, when you are in the the wilderness, looking out and looking at the sin in your own heart, and you are tempted to despair, remember the cross of Christ and the greatness of the power and the glory. Remember the sanctuary and worship. 
He goes on, and it wasn't just going to the sanctuary to worship. He says um, in verse 3, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. It's a big phrase. Your love is better than life. How often are you tempted to love God for something? Jesus is is great because he forgives our sins. And that's true. There is forgiveness in no one else. And that is a gift freely offered to us. In him we have a hope that will not fade for eternal life and life abundant. In a recreated heaven and earth, in resurrected bodies, we get really good things because he is a really good God. But how often do we think in terms of what we get? How often do we think a sentence, I love you because you fill in the blank of what he gives you? And those are good and proper in their rightful place. But do we ever take a step back and say, God, I would love you no matter what. You deserve my love even if you did not save me. It's a big sentence. God deserves our devotion even if he doesn't save us. You see, he is good and worthy apart from us. And the good news is that even though he doesn't need us, even though he doesn't have to save us, that he freely chose to save us. He has given us his steadfast love, a love that does not change, will not fade, and will not fail ever. And so apart from any blessing we get, apart from any good that happens in this life, his love is enough. And so David here, remembers the sanctuary, remembers going into God's presence to worship him and the power and glory displayed as it is nowhere else other than worship where God's people gather. And he says, your love is better than life. Now David wants to be returned to the throne. But better than that is God. David wants to fix the relationship with the son that is in rebellion, which he does not do. But better than that is God's love. Uh, John Piper wrote a book a number of years ago called God is the Gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is not just that you can be forgiven of your sins, but that you get God. Our relationship with a holy God was broken and Jesus Christ healed that relationship so that we, once again, can go into the presence of a holy God. That's what David's pointing to here. The greatness of God's gift to us is God. The next verse, he goes on. 
and he says, uh, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. So in the wilderness he remembers worship and he looks to the past. We can look to our own salvation. We can look to the body of believers. We can look to past times where we have worshipped him. We can look to the present where we say, your love is all that I need. Lord, I pray for other blessings and I want good things in life, but all I need is you. And we can look to the future and say, I will bless you as long as I live. No matter what, it's not conditional, no matter what, you are enough. So because of that, uh, we get to this third idea that, that uh, David was at peace. He says, um, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. This, uh, this week was the 4th of July, so I was off on Thursday and Friday and yesterday. And uh, we've been doing family things and playing games, and I've managed to eat more junk food in the last three days than probably in the last year. And I, I've gotta, I don't feel bad. It's been like the best three days of my life. Um, pizza and burgers and cake and junk food. and um, The kids think I'm just spoiling them, but really it's, I get them stuff as an excuse so I can take part in it. Like, oh, you need more cookies? Yeah, aren't I a good dad? Give me some of those cookies. And um, David is, is uh, pointing to this kind of thing. Again, he's drawing a, a spiritual point from a physical thing. He was the king, and he knows what it is to feast. He knows what it is to um, have more than you need, an abundance. He says, satisfied with fat and rich foods. Some translations talk about marrow and fatness. The delights, the luxuries, the extras. More than you need. A sign of wealth in the ancient world was being overweight. For the poor had to work um, and struggle. They rarely had enough. Nutrition has been a problem throughout most of the world, throughout most of history. And so David is pointing to abundance. Most commentators look at this verse and and think this is a future thing. And this is one of the promises of Scripture, that one day we will take part in the wedding feast of the Lamb. That when Christ comes back and repairs everything, when he finishes the work that he is about, we will feast and rejoice in his presence. And that's true. But this next verse... He says, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. I'll give you, um, I guess, arguing from experience. What are you supposed to be doing in your bed during the watches of the night? You're supposed to be asleep. Um, Has anybody here ever had trouble sleeping? Is it a wonder, either because you just can't sleep or because um, there's other things that keep you awake? A crying baby, um, kids who like to get up before the sun, um, a job where you have to work long hours. The night is made for rest. Being up during the watches of the night is generally not a good thing. When you've had uh, struggles in your life, when you've been under stress and you've been up late into the night, 
Does staying up and not sleeping help you feel better about things? Probably not. The more tired I get, uh, the worse things feel. My job as a chaplain, um, when we're deployed, uh, we would get American Red Cross messages. Um, If something happened to a family member, if there was a death in the family at home, they would send a message to our unit. And generally speaking, I would be the one uh, that would get the message. At 2 in the morning, uh, when someone calls you on the radio, it's never, never good news. David is up. He's up in the middle of the night. He's up during the watches of the night. He is not resting. He is not asleep. And so he says that his soul will be satisfied when he remembers God. So it's the middle of the night. He's up. He's in the wilderness because he's at war with his son. And then he remembers God. He meditates on God. That was really loud. And because of that, his soul is satisfied. He longs for these things to be true. He longs to be returned to a time of abundance. But the fact is, even without the abundance, even in the darkness of night, even in the midst of civil war, even in the midst of his worst struggles, he finds peace. He finds satisfaction of soul. He even finds joy. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. We can speak words of praise mechanically. We can um, sing hymns and not even know what words we're saying. And I'm, as a pastor, I'm, I'm very guilty of that. Often, I'll be looking ahead at what's next uh, in the bulletin, um, thinking of what I have to do next. And I'll, I'll read sometimes a whole line, sometimes a whole verse, not have the slightest clue what I just said. Um, and hopefully, I'm, my mic's not on, and I'm not saying crazy things, but um, it's very possible to speak words of praise without our heart being in it. David here is talking about something else. Joy that is so rich in his heart that just bubbles up. Um, My youngest son, uh, Levi, is five months old, or five and a half now. And uh, obviously he's not talking yet, but he can make an incredible amount of noise. When you play with him, you can see him smile, and he will squeal from joy. That's what David is talking about here. It's involuntary. He can't help himself. He feels so good that noise comes out. David is not talking about satisfied, like uh, a stoic, kind of stubborn, I will be happy no matter what. I am fine here in the wilderness, even though I'm not really fine, but I'm going to say it anyway. He's talking about a joy that is so real and so full that it bubbles up so that he sings during the watches of the night. For this psalm, this poem, is a song that David sang to God. Even in the darkness of the night, in the wilderness, in the midst of all of his uh, troubles, he sings 
for joy because God is that good. And he goes on and says, You have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. If you think about uh, a large eagle hovering over uh, its nest, guarding, its wingspan spread, God is guarding David. The mighty, uh, the power of his wings blocks even the sun from getting to David. He is that safe even as he looks and sees the wilderness. The last uh, three verses, verses 9 through 11, talk about justice. Those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths, and all who swear by God shall exult. One day, things will be made right. Now, this is an important verse, because uh, we tend to like things in extremes, because they're easy. They're simple. The verses so far, the the message that I've delivered to you so far um, could be taken too far so that you might hear me saying, you shouldn't be upset even when you're in the midst of the wilderness. If you're hurting, it's because you don't remember how great God is. And that's not what I'm saying. Because David was hurting. He looks to a future time when God will reverse What is going on? Because God has promised David that he will reign forever. The line of David, as we know in Christ, is king forever. So David knows that what is happening right then is wrong. And he looks to a time when God will fix it. When he will make good the promises he has made to David and to all of God's people. To bless. And so when we run into times of trouble we should understand what bad is. We should not forget to weep with those who weep. We should not fail to mourn when it is appropriate. Remember, David, even though he was singing this song of praise, was up in the middle of the night, during the deepest watches of the night, needing to remember who God is. So the message here is not that you should never hurt because you do and you will. The message is not that um, if you can just get a right understanding of God that you can face anything without fear and without worry because you will fear and you will worry. The message here is that in the midst of your worries and fears and pains and tears and struggles and all of the real parts of life, remember the God who is. That in the midst of the wilderness, remember the God who became incarnate and died on a cross for your sins, the one who took your heart from death to life, the one who dwells in you and will hang on to you all the way to the end and will finally make things right. Remember him. There's a uh, U2 song. And one of the verses they sing about 
uh, Christ carrying shame. And then you, you might have heard the song. The chorus is, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And you can say, how can you believe in a God who took your shame, who died for your sins, who forgives you and welcomes you into his presence? How can you say that you believe in him? How can you say that you have found him and that you haven't found what you're looking for? Well, this is the message of Scripture. Because Jesus is not done with you yet. If this is what I will be, then Christ failed. Because I'm not what he promised yet. If you are complete, then Christ failed. And the good news is that Jesus does not fail. He will finish the work he began He will finish the work, uh, the victory that he won on the cross, defeating sin and death and Satan and every enemy. The work he began when he first called you to himself and changed your heart. The work he continues this day through the power of his word and the power of his spirit. The work he will do until that day when we see him face to face, when our bodies are made new and this world is made right and every knee bows and every tongue confesses that day when he welcomes all of his people to paradise forever. He will do it. Remember that his love is better than life. Please join me in prayer.